Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I don't have a co-host tonight because this is a special interview podcast uh, that I hope all of you enjoy because it's going to be a very helpful one for me. Uh, as a lot of you know, my day job means I have to watch a lot of basketball. So I'm it's still in the process of getting ready for the college football season and learning as much as possible about all the teams uh, nationally and in the Big Ten. And when it comes to the Big Ten, what we wanted to do today was get someone on here who who has like a very good understanding of Big Ten football. And that someone is my pal Patrick Mayhorn, the uh, associate editor of Buckeye Sports Bulletin. Uh, He writes the Outside Zone newsletter, which you really should subscribe to. He co-hosts the Flipping the Field podcast. And when it comes to people who – whose brain I like to pick out college football, there is no one better than Patrick. Patrick, what are you doing, buddy? Man, that's a um, guy who knows a lot about Big Ten football. Just put that right on my on my gravestone. You can you can really edge that in there. That's the sign of a uh, a wife a life well lived that I know a lot about like Illinois football in 2021. Well, is it? <laughs> sure. We'll uh we'll we'll say that it is for the sake of my own uh, my own mental health. <laughs> I was going to say you got you very nearly said a wife well lived there. And yeah. I, I was going to say I I feel like uh, no. <laughs> significant other would like enjoy oh my god i need to have takes on uh, purdue right now but uh brother all... you and you and my girlfriend both do not understand it <laughs> <laughs> I, I i have an idea not a uh, listen i'd much rather as you know discuss uh america's team the columbus crew with you but we can't That's do right. that here uh because this is uh, nominally a college sports podcast so uh what we're doing is this Like I mentioned at the top, I'm still catching up on everything. I'm still getting used to the world of college football. What we're going to do is we're going to go down the Big Ten. We have them listed uh, by their betting odds of winning the conference. Uh, And I'm going to ask one broad question about the football program that Patrick is then going to answer. And then after we discuss that, I'm going to ask him whatever interests him most about the team that year. We're going to try and put more attention on the Big Ten East and the team's Penn State plays for very obvious reasons. Like, y'all don't need to hear us talking too terribly much about the Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, on this podcast. So we're going to go in reverse order. If you want to hear uh, about Penn State, about Wisconsin, those sorts of teams, head to the very end of this pod. But I want to start with the Illinois Fighting Illini, Patrick, they made uh, a move this offseason, got rid of uh, the god Lovey Smith, brought in uh, this guy named Burt. And I guess that's my question to start. Will Burt Ball be fully functional in Brett Bielema's first year in Champaign? I mean, I think the easy answer is is in some cases the right answer, and the easier answer here is no. Um, this is a system that, as we saw at you know Arkansas, takes time to to install. In some cases, like in Arkansas's case, it didn't install at all. Um, I think that it is more suited for the the Big Ten West than it is the SEC. Um, but this still takes time. Illinois is is coming off of a ten year that saw Levy, Levy bring in a lot of transfers a lot of guys who were not really strong to 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 use the 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 cliche not exactly strong culture fits for the team i don't think that this team really has a culture um and 
that is a lot of what Brett depends on is, is building out a team that has a distinct identity. Um, and you just, I don't think you can do that in, in one year. They don't have the talent to do it in one year. Um, I quite like a lot of his hires. I like Tony Peterson, the offensive coordinator, quite a bit. He was at Appalachian State, which is a little bit different than what Brett usually does. But um, I just, I mean, it's Illinois. I just don't think that they have the 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 talent or the time to really get to what Brett wants to do, which seems to be sort of a modified ground and pound that has a little more of that that option flavor, more of that short pass kind of West Coast flavor like what App State has been doing for years. Um, and I think that that can work in a place like that that where you know your skill players are mostly going to come from St. Louis, you're going to get a lot of track guys, and then you can touch other parts of the Midwest for linemen. I think it can work. I just It is very much a year zero situation here. And uh, forgot to do this at the jump when talking about Illinois. Uh, two and six last season. Odds this year of winning the Big Ten are 150 to one. Uh, folks, that's called a value play in the business. They were number 89 in SP Plus, and they brought in uh, the number 13 recruiting class uh, in the Big Ten. As you probably know, there are 14 teams in the Big Ten, so they didn't do a particular, particularly yeah. great job. And the one thing that I think you can say, Patrick, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you're talking about a team like in Illinois, a team, it, it, not, I don't necessarily want to talk say a team like Illinois, but when you're talking about a, having a coach like Brett Bielema in there, the one thing that you can very obviously say is they're going to have an identity. You mentioned on an offensive yes. coordinator hire that kind of diverts away from that. So the one thing that I think you can say about this team is that like, the most important thing we're going to see out of them this season is they're building towards something. They're on the sort of roadmap. And it's like, my guess is the goal is not going to be be Brett's Wisconsin teams. It's not going to be uh, go from last place in the Big Ten West to competing for a Big Ten championship. It's just laying that foundation. So in two, three, four years, uh, you're able to just be in that conversation, which Illinois just hasn't been in a while. Yeah, and, and I think that that is a, a, you know, a trait that Illinois has that some of the other teams in the Big Ten, specifically in the West, don't really have. I, I don't think that Purdue or Nebraska, which we'll, we'll talk about, are, are heading towards anything, like, obviously, at this point. It seems like they're just sort of floating in nothingness. Illinois doesn't have the talent of either, you know, either of those two teams even, but it does have something that it actually believes in. Brett is, is one of the more ideologically committed coaches in college football whether you agree with that ideology or not is is certainly up for debate but it has worked in the big 10 west before and you know tony peterson is the same way he has a, a scheme that he is committed to it seems like brett is open to learning that new scheme um ryan walters at missouri was very good until last season the new defensive coordinator at illinois i'm, I'm i was kind of surprised that illinois could get him because he's a he's a very well thought of coach and recruiter um but the the staff that Brett has in place here, I think, is encouraging. I, I I like the I like the idea of him at Illinois. It is just they are so far away from fully reaching that that potential, reaching what they want to be, um, because they have like one really good player on this team, and Isaiah Williams, and he's a receiver, and that's not a great place to have your one good player. And is there anything about this team that? Other than Isaiah Williams, and if you want to talk about him, by all means, go for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything about this team that really interests you uh, that 
you know, as we're heading into this season, maybe a foundational piece as they're building towards something uh, just amid this, uh, what, what should be a pretty weird year for Illinois football. Uh, I'm curious to see what the, the Bielema Peterson offense looks like, how those two sort of fuse together. Cause Bielema obviously has quite a bit of experience with offensive lines and, and very good offensive lines. And I, I think that that is, that has been the app state ethos for years and something that Peterson certainly understands. Um, Brandon Peters, the quarterback, uh, stinks. He's not very good. And I, I, I don't think he's going to be especially <laughs> fun to watch, but seeing how they work Williams into the offense is interesting. I, I would certainly, um, stand on the table for and you know and and push for him just being the quarterback he was a quarterback last season and transitioned to wide receiver um I don't think that they have the the passing game infrastructure needed to have an actual quarterback and you might as well just put your fastest guy back there um but I I really think that this offense in in any success that it does have will be around getting the ball into Williams hands as, as best it can um the defense is is just looking to be below average. It was it was one of the worst in in America last year. I think that being aggressive, having an identity, and you know starting to work towards that would be a a serious step in the right direction, even if it's it's small potatoes. Ready to boiler up, baby? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. The Purdue Boilermakers, uh, two and four last season, end of the year better than I thought. Number uh, forty. Two in SP plus. They are 100 to one to win the Big Ten this year, and finished with the number 14 recruiting class in the conference heading into this season. And when I think about Purdue, I think about where Purdue was in that first year under. Jeff Brom, where their record wasn't as good as I remember it being. There were seven, six, seven and six football teams. We remember they, uh, Ohio State went into East Lafayette and just got annihilated. Seven and six that year, and then six and seven, and then four and eight and two and four last year. My big question for them, right after that season happened, Patrick, they gave a whole lot of money to Jeff Brom. Can he rekindle mm-hmm. whatever magic he had in year one? Man, I I want to say I want to say that he can because I like the idea of a fun Purdue. I, I liked 2018 Purdue. I liked early early stage Brom Purdue. I thought that they were fun to watch. Um, but when you know when when you you're coming off a season where they were two and four last season with and obviously Rondell Moore has not been was not fully himself after that freshman season and was still dealing with injuries, but they were, they're coming off of a season where they had Rondell Moore, Milton Wright and David Bell all on campus at the same time. And they went two and four and their offense was worse than their defense. And Brahms calling card is supposed to be his offense. Um, they still have Bell and they still have Milton Wright. So the, the passing game should still be good, but it's just, we haven't seen him do it. Jeff Brom cannot, seemingly cannot find a quarterback. Um, he hasn't had a quarterback his entire time at Purdue. And so much of this program, so much of his system relies on having a quarterback. And so as much as I want to see it succeed, as much as I, I really like the Brad Lambert hire on the other side of the ball, he was the DC at, at Marshall, which was one of the best defenses in the country last year. Um, as much as I like a lot of this stuff on paper, I just know that Jeff Brom is running this team and that it seems like he cannot coordinate a capable offense in a program that needs to have a good offense. And they do have a uh, decent three-star quarterback at 
uh, lining up under center in Jack Plummer. Uh, last year, completed yep. 71% of his passes, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, 7.6 yards per attempt. Sounds like you're not totally sold on him, though. Um, no, I mean, he, he can <laughs> when, when you have that receiver room, I would be it would be very difficult to do a whole lot worse than that. I would say I, I think that he is he is at least somewhat capable, which is better than like Aiden O'Connell can say. Um, but he's a game manager. He's somebody who's going to get the ball out fairly quickly and then rely on one of his receivers to make a play. And last season for a lot of the year, it was just David Bell and that that just wasn't enough. I mean, David Bell was averaging under 12 yards a catch last season. And that is just not, that is not a, an acceptable way to use that guy. He's, he's too good to be throwing that many short passes to. Um, and it's just like, it was like this offense had, it, it had a, a self-installed sort of cap at 20, 25 yards down the field because none of the quarterbacks on this team can throw that far. Um, and, and so you have these great receivers. You have guys like David Bell, who's going to be in the NFL for you know 15 years. And they just cannot, they cannot get them the ball in any creative way, both because the quarterbacks are not capable of getting the ball down the field and because the offense just doesn't, doesn't really call for throws like that. And you could, you could certainly say that the, the first inspires the second. Um, but I, I, I think that the, the stats for, for Plummer will remain about the same, but it's just not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fully reflect what he's doing, which is he's, you know, throwing dig routes every single time he, he drops back, he's throwing drags, he's throwing into the flats. He's really not taking shots down the field in any way that actually threatens a defense. And then any big things that interest you about Purdue as we're heading into this season? Um, I mentioned Brad Lambert. I, I think he's good. <laughs> I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I think he's much better than what they were working with last year, which I believe was Bob Diaco, um, who is somehow still kicking around. But Lambert was really good at Marshall. He was certainly helped by Devontae Beckett, who's sort of a uh, a, a miniature Tyran Matthew. Um, George Karloftis is good on the defense as well. I like him at defensive end. But it's this was the worst pass rush in, in the Big Ten last season. And Maybe it improves, but I, I just I don't see a ton of growth here because the talent is not good enough to really justify it, and they're not doing anything unique on offense anymore like they were early on. And you could argue that Rondell Moore was the unique thing on offense, and and so I just I like the idea. I like a lot of the ideas of this team, but then I I look again at Jeff Brom, and it's like, well, it doesn't seem like this guy's actually all that good at his job. And it's it's too bad because good Purdue was exciting and was interesting to watch. But it has very quickly sort of solidified that maybe Jeff Brom was, was pretty lucky early on to have someone like Rondale Moore and that he was sort of just coasting on his uh, on his talent less than actually scheming up impressive, impressive plays. Speaking of... Uh programs that feel like they're coasting uh let's talk about the michigan state spartans very nice gentlemen uh yeah i'm a, I'm a professional for that reason two and five <laughs> last season the first under mel tucker if you want to bet on them to win the big 10 100 to one this season they were number 10 uh in uh the 24 7 composite recruiting rankings and in terms of SP plus they were the number 65 team in college football and it's very weird Patrick because it feels like they just started treading water like right away and it's year two of a coach who seems like he's really 
embracing the fact that this program needs to be rebuilt a little bit. But I still have the question mark down is, are they doomed? Because this it seems like a team where it's very easy to see everything just going completely off the rails very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because they are really not devoid of talent. Um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, they have receivers like Jaden Reed and, and Jalen Naylor, who I think are both good. Um, Ricky White was awesome against Michigan and then didn't do anything else for the rest of the season. Um, but they they have guys who I think are capable. Like like uh, you know, last season halfback Jordan Simmons should have been good. He was good on paper. Um, but then the actual production is just, I mean, they were two and five and they had one of the worst offenses in the country and the defense was not far behind. Um, they had guys like Antoine Simmons at, at linebacker who is, he was a four-star recruit. I mean, he was an Ohio state commit at one point. He was, he's a good player. And the, the final product is just not good. And it, it seems like, you know, it's, it's, it's always hard to say something like this from the outside looking in, but it seems like there's just not any sort of actual, like we talked about with Illinois, any sort of identity, any sort of ideology, even like a culture of some sort. You know, Mel Tucker is a guy who relies on that to to build out his programs, who relies on that to win games. And right now, Michigan State just sort of feels like a team that exists in flux. It's not really selling anything. It's not terrible, but it's just a, a weird collection of of guys that kind of feels like a, a unique product of the the transfer portal era where you have just a, you know, a collection of players that really don't have anything to do with each other. Um, you know, like Temple quarterback Anthony Russo is here completing for the, competing for the starting job. Um, Kenneth Walker and Harold Joyner are here from Wake Forest and Auburn at running back. You you have guys who, like I was saying, are, are decent on paper. Anthony Russo isn't good, but, but Walker and Joyner are. Um, they just don't seem to really have anything to do with each other. They don't really seem to, to gel together. It's just a collection of talent less than it is a, a team. And so you find yourself in this situation where I don't know that this team is bad per se. It's just that they are in a conference that has, you know, four or five. They're in a, a division that has four or five teams that do at least believe in something, and they don't have the talent to make up for that. So they're just sort of stuck in this place where, like I was saying, they have nothing to sell, but they're not terrible enough to start over. And it, they seem like a team that's like caught up in a narrative, right? Yeah. Where it's like the narrative is. They're hanging on by a thread, uh, you know, Tucker's the guy after the guy. And as a result, he's like all these things where uh, like it just seems like we're kind of copying and pasting what we always say about teams in this spot and just replacing like one thing with Michigan State, another thing with Mel Tucker. But at the same time, like it's hard not to feel like that is kind of the case. I mean, is there anything about this team – I know you just went through some of the talent that they have. Is there anything about this team that really interests you heading into this season? I'm 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 curious to see if Tucker can make this his own in any significant way, because it feels like and and you you touched on this and it's it's the the narrative that they're kind of tied up in that we've we've danced around. Um, it feels like they never really moved on from D'Antonio, like late stage D'Antonio. It doesn't seem like they've done anything significantly different, and so they are just in this this vortex of trying to recruit Detroit. We're trying to recruit Detroit. We're trying to recruit, you know, the four stars that Michigan and Ohio State passed up or that Penn State passed up. And obviously, you know, Penn State is a team that has recruited the area that Michigan State needs to be in really well in recent years. Um, 
and so we're left with this team that does not feel like Mel Tucker's. And the thing that I'm looking for is, can this defense take a step towards being aggressive, which is what Mel Tucker's best defenses do. They, they, you know, they play with their hair on fire. They look to create a lot of turnovers. They look to, you know, put cornerbacks on islands and trust them to make plays. This team should have the cornerbacks in theory to do that. Shakur Brown is really good. Kalan Gervin was pretty good last year. Xavier Henderson was a, a monster in high school, has not really turned it on in college yet. They should have guys in the secondary. I just, I haven't seen them do anything that I would consider aggressive or creative at all. And I think progress this year for Michigan State would be seeing a defense that teams legitimately don't want to have to play against, even if it's not especially productive. Just a, you know, a team where going in, you know, your quarterback's probably going to throw an interception and you're probably not going to feel good coming out of the game, even if you do win by three scores. Just becoming something that, that becoming a team that does something interesting um, would, would be a big step for me and I think would be a big step for that program as at, at you know, writ large as it tries to distance itself a little bit from its past. And you mentioned interesting and how there's a lack of interest with Sparty. Uh, to me, there's a whole lot of interest uh, in the next team we're going to talk about because they seem like a team that has really started to lean into the whole let's be a chaotic football team thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, they're at 80 to one uh, to win the big 10 this year. They went two and three last season, number 53 in SP plus brought in uh, the number four recruiting class uh, in the big 10 last year with five star Terrence Lewis, a linebacker, from Miami, uh, the gem of that class. And Patrick, this last year, that offense was real fun. They couldn't stop a nosebleed, but their offense was really, really fun. It seems like they might have something with Talia Tagovailoa. Uh, They have some really fun receivers. They did lose uh, standout running back Jake Funk, though. And that's my question. Is Maryland going to be able to do anything other than throw the ball? And if the answer is no, will that matter? Because they do seem like they're going to be good at throwing the ball. So I'll, I'll... I don't know how this how this will go over because Maryland is sort of a popular choice to jump up. But and I, I think I've told you this not in a recording setting, just just talking about this team before. I think this team's kind of terrible. I think this team's going to be secretly kind of terrible this year because they should in theory be able to pass the ball. You know, I, I think Tully is, is a good player. I think that Rakeem Jarrett, the receiver, is a really good player. Um Jalen Duncan, even up front, is worth mentioning. He's very good. But um, Bill, are you aware of who the new offensive coordinator is here? Uh, I, no, I, I'm, I'm not. It's Dan Enos. Oh, hell <laughs> and, yeah. And he has said throughout spring camp, throughout fall camp, that he wants to install and presumably has installed more screens and short distance play action throws. Um, <laughs> and if if you watched Talia play last year, if you watched Murkeem Jarrett play ever, um, that's not that's not a great fit for those guys. I, I mean, it, it's, it's if there's anything you're going to say about that, it's that they probably won't be able to run the ball a lick if they're going to be doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess they they can at least maybe get some short yardage gains, but like Talia can't throw short. He he doesn't seem to know what he's doing on short passes. He likes to throw the ball 50 yards down the field. That was pretty much their entire offense last year. And if you're, I mean. 
generally when you when you want to build more screens and short distance play action into your offense, uh, you're doing that because your running game is really good and your passing game isn't. Um, <laughs> and there's a reason for defenses to believe the screens or believe the play action. The running game is going to be really bad this year. I mean, it already wasn't good, and now they lose their leading rusher. And their plan is to go with more RPOs and, and screens for a quarterback that doesn't read defenses especially quickly and for a number one receiver that really likes to just run in a straight line. Um, I think that I think that Mike Loxley has done here what he always does, which is he has turned back to the people that he knows, the people that he has been around, and he is not Nick Saban. He cannot turn these coaches into good coaches. Dan Enos is not going to be a good coach here. Ron Zook is the special teams coordinator. I, I think that this is a, a team that has has intriguing players, has interesting talent, has accumulated recruiting you know wins in the way that Loxley wanted to, and now, unfortunately, it has to be coached by Mike Loxley, and he's not a good football coach. Damn! Okay, I, Patrick. The man is what, like six and forty-four? <laughs> it's it's Ooh, not uh, it's it's not an especially impressive uh, career that he has that he has assembled here. Uh, he is let's see, six and seventeen as the head. Oh, eight and forty-three. There we go. Okay, all right. Well, see, I, I should have I should have been giving him more credit. <laughs> Listen, if he, those those extra two wins, well, I mean, one of those two wins came against Penn State in a, a very inexplicable football mm. game. Last yeah. So I, I suppose we should put a little bit of respect onto. Yeah, Mike and I'll, I'll I'll ask you because I don't remember much about that game. Uh, did did Talia throw the ball down the field a lot there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so now it's time to take that out of the offense. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. Well, the entire thing with that football game was Penn State's. Like it took Penn State's back seven a little while to figure out what it was doing with Micah Parsons not there to just like fix any mistake that anyone made. So yeah. Talia, uh, 18 for 26, 282 yards, three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it, it, every single angle taken by a defensive back was bad. It was remarkable. Uh, so you kind of just went off on Maryland. Uh, <laughs> my guess is you're going to go off on the next team too, but with Maryland, anything that you find interesting heading into this season? Um, I like Raheem Jarrett. I think he's yes. fun to watch. I hope that they actually use him the right way, which they, they <laughs> sort of did last year. Um, Nick Cross at safety is also really good. It feels like he's been there forever because I think they had somebody with a similar with a similar name. Um, but he's he's really good. I believe he's back. Pass defense should be pretty good at at in general. Um, I like Terrence. What is it? Terrence Lewis is that right? The uh, the five star. Yes. Yeah, I, I like him. I hope that he can stay. Um, I'll choose my words carefully here. Eligible. Uh, I hope that he can stay on the field. I know that that is not necessarily a, a guarantee in some cases, which is how you get a five-star at Maryland. Um, but I, I think the the pieces here could be really good if they had a, a coach, um, and they just they just don't. They have a they have a recruiting coordinator, and recruiting coordinators the issue is, and the the reason that they're not usually head coaches is that they don't know how to coach football games. Um, and I think that, that Maryland's going to run into that quite a bit this season. Good thing Maryland fans don't listen to this podcast, or else you'd be who. Uh, <laughs> next up, oh no, I'm going to get five mean tweets. <laughs> next up is the program I'm always the most excited to talk about because I find them very funny. Uh, that's the Nebraska Cornhuskers at uh, 40, 40 to one uh, to win the Big Ten. Went three and five last season. Uh, ended. 
the season number 32 in SP plus the number five recruiting class in college football. Um, this past season, like I, I hate that I'm still talking. Is the uh, in the little thing I put together is Nebraska back with one, two, three, four, six trademarks next to it. So the question to you, Patrick, is Nebraska back? Uh, okay, no. good. Let's move on to yeah. the next team. No, yeah, no, no. Okay, by all means, go for it. <laughs> um, I mean they lost Wandale Robinson, and he was like most of their offense last year, and you just it, it has been a you know Scott Frost is he's, he's pushing the stone up the mountain and it, it just he cannot get it up the mountain because it's you cannot win at nebraska in the modern era trying to run anything but the triple option it, it's it's not gonna work you cannot get talent out here it, 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 he has proven that he has proven that as a what i would consider a very very capable very good offensive offensive minded coach you i mean the best receiver, the best skill player he has gotten out here in Wandale Robinson is gone. He's he's transferred. He wanted to be somewhere else. Adrian Martinez was was quietly kind of good last year. He he completed I think set more than seventy percent of his passes, but he can't throw the ball down the field because one he's not capable of it, and two there are no receivers who can go and get it. And um, just an important thing to mention here, like there was a point where they just kind of lost faith in Adrian Martinez and they put in yeah. Luke, they put in Luke McCaffrey, who uh, then Scott Frost seemed to like take some amount of joy in pushing away from the program this offseason. Yeah, they, they cannot get it is it's sort of a, a mirror to to Jeff Brahms Purdue. Nebraska has more money, so it is able to to raise the floor a little bit and the defense has been a little better. But they cannot get a, a quarterback out here that is capable of running the system. And they, you know, they also cannot surround him with skill guys. It's it's even really more dire than the Purdue situation, at least offensively. Um, the rushing game should be better. I, I think that the rushing game has been legitimately kind of interesting for a couple of years now, at least schematically. Um, Matt Matt Lubick is unfortunately, or, or Lubick, the new OC, is the exact same as the last OC. It's the same guy. They all come from the same system. Um, and it feels like Scott Frost just does not understand why this isn't working. And, and it, it feels like Nebraska at large does not understand why this isn't working and, and does not understand that it cannot be Ohio State. It cannot be Penn State. It cannot be any of these teams that are atop the Big Ten riding talent and riding mainstream offenses. It either has to be like Wisconsin in that it has a, a specific committed ideology that it sticks to and recruits to and, and a, a, you know, a developmental system that is designed around playing a specific way, which it doesn't have, or it has to hire like urban Meyer. It has to hire someone who can plug and play a, a recruiting, you know, system anywhere in the country. Like I think urban Meyer would win at Nebraska. He's not going there. You know, Nick Saban's not, not setting up shop at Nebraska. Do, seemingly none of those guys are. And I don't know if there's a guy on the market who would be able to do that. And so, you are stuck similar to the you know Purdue and Michigan State situations. You are stuck with a coaching staff that has no no juice right now, that has no real heat or identity that it can recruit to, and lacks the top end talent to make up for that. So you just have a team that doesn't really believe in anything, going out there trying all of these different things that don't work, and you know trying it again next season with with the exact same system, the exact same ideas, and a a, a different you know different names on the field but what is functionally the same guys and they have the like perpetual death knell 
of incredibly high expectations with yeah. also a very firm ceiling for all the reasons that you laid out. So like I, I'm I'm not empathetic to Scott Frost because for a various number of reasons, but at the same time, like I just don't know how that guy can be put into a position to succeed when the expectation is he's going to get us back to the Tom Osborne days. Yeah, it, and it's I think that that is that is part of what has pushed this this ideology that they are that they are working with here is that fans, you know, athletic department people, even the coaches expect to be competing for national championships, expect to be like Oklahoma, expect to be like Ohio State. That's you know, that's the the white whale that they're chasing is that they can see they see teams like Oklahoma winning a lot of games and having these really explosive offenses and they think, "Well, we're not that far away from Oklahoma. Why can't we do that?" And it's just not realistic. It is not a realistic expectation at this point in the program because no recruits remember Nebraska being good. There's there's not a there's not a four star. There's not a five star. There's not a kid in America that saw a good Nebraska. Bill, I'm 21 years old. I've never seen a good Nebraska. It, it is like this is this is not a program that has any heat to it. And it's not doing anything unique to generate that heat. It isn't selling anything. The, the the thing that it goes out on the recruiting trail and says is not impressive to people anymore because if you're if you're 18 years old, you don't associate Nebraska with the NFL. You don't associate mm-hmm. it with national championships. You associate you associate it with going five and seven, starting a year six and one, and then getting housed by one of the actually good teams in the conference. That's that's all you've ever seen Nebraska do. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm not I'm not going to like ask you anything interesting about them, but you actually reminded me of when you mentioned uh, that you've never seen a good Nebraska. That Nebraska had a stretch of ten and four, ten and four, nine and four, ten and four, nine and four, nine and four, and then decided that wasn't good enough. And in the in yeah. years six then six since then six and seven, nine and four, four and eight, four and eight, five and seven, three and five. Like it, it, it's a program that just straight up has the belief that it deserves to be something better and it's just never going to do that. Uh, I, I I don't want to talk about Nebraska too much anymore. Is there anything else you would like to add about them? Uh, they should hire Jamie Chadwell. That's that's what I would like to add. Nate, list every program in the country that you don't think should hire Jamie Chadwell. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's the whole list. Tennessee. Ten, good, good, good answer. Good answer, young man. Uh, moving on to an actually interesting program, one that doesn't have odds because America's best state doesn't allow them to have odds, uh, and that is the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Like you know, we obviously get our jokes off about Rutgers last year, three and six in uh, the conference. Like I mentioned, no betting odds. They were number one hundred one in uh, number one hundred one in SP plus, but. Rutgers has like the tiniest bit of juice behind them right now because they got in a head coach who every single high school coach in the state of New Jersey idolizes because he was once in a commercial with James Gandolfini. Um, <laughs> Rutger, like we mentioned, number nine in the Big Ten last year. They have a pretty good class coming in the following year, neither here nor there. But Patrick, do you think that this is a team that can – turn some of this, you know, they're getting a little bit of momentum on the recruiting trail. I feel like there's just a little bit of chatter, not about them like turning into a big 10 championship team or anything like that, but just like being on the right track generally. Can, do you think that it's possible for them to turn some of that into success on the football field? 
so the the very short answer is yes, but probably not this year. Um, I I think that Rutgers, in trying to build up its program, accomplished and it it, it hit the one thing. It it took a very similar approach, if I'm being honest, to what Maryland did. They they I believe hired their coaches at the same time, if memory serves. Loxley might have been a year earlier. Um, but they they both wanted somebody who is well liked and capable of recruiting in the area. They wanted to lock down the location that they are recruiting in. Both of both of co- both of those coaches, I think, have done a pretty good job with that. Loxley is recruiting above his means at Maryland. Shiano is certainly recruiting above his means at, at Rutgers because of his his New Jersey ties, as you mentioned, because he he wants to know where the ZD is and things like that. Um, and so I'm giving they, you a backhand the next time I see you for that. <laughs> um, and so I I think I think that that ideologically that makes sense. I think that that's a good idea. Um, if you're trying to make up ground in the Big Ten, you need to accumulate more talent. That that's obvious. But the the reason that it has worked better at Rutgers and because and why I have higher expectations and and hopes for Rutgers this season than I do for Maryland is that unlike Loxley, Shiano went out and hired good coaches, um, which which has never been a, a weakness of his. His his weakness in coaching, and you know. If you know anything about my background and when I started covering Ohio State, which was in, in 2017 and 2018, I don't think very highly as Greg, of Greg Schiano as a schematic coach. I think that the game has passed him by. Um, he runs a lot of a lot of man coverage against uh, you know against RPOs with no help in the middle because he's blitzing two linebackers. And if you know about man coverage against RPOs with no linebacker help, you know that that's not going to be a great idea. Um, but he's not running his defense which was my main concern about Rutgers. He, he's not really coaching this team. He went out and he hired Sean Gleason, who had been the very good OC at Princeton, didn't do anything at Oklahoma State because of Mike Gundy, but he's a very good OC. And he has passed the defense off to, I believe, Rob Smith is the is the defense coordinator. But this is not Greg Schiano's defense. It's not even really Greg Schiano's team, save for the players that are on it, which is the ideal setup with Greg Schiano. He's a great recruiter. He's a very good program manager. He's a good assessor of coaching and play, player talent. And as long as you can keep him away from game planning and play calling, then you're going to have a pretty good team. Um and to his credit, he has he has understood that he has he has stuck to that. I think he's one of those guys that is a better head coach than he is a coordinator. And so I really like what I see here. I really like what Sean Gleason has done. I think that he and the the defensive staff created wins out of nothing last season. They did not have a team that had any business being what was it three and six, um, or uh, yeah, three and six. That team had no business winning three games. I don't know if it had any business winning one game. As you said, I mean they were 101 in SP plus. That would, that's not good. <laughs> that's that's really not good. Uh, Noah Vidal is not an especially impressive quarterback. The the talent here was not. It did not scale to a three and six record on paper. But they did really good things in in scheme, in coaching, in in game planning. They were prepared. They did weird stuff. They did you know fake punt you know, returns and things like that. They they messed around with what other teams were seeing. They created something that was difficult to prepare for and they were well coached. And I, I think that even though their talent is still among the worst in in the conference, I think pretty easily, their their coaching staff is one of the best in the league. And so I think that they can make up for that that lack of talent in a very significant way. I don't think it's significant enough or will ever be significant enough for them to seriously compete in the conference. But I do think that 
against teams that are struggling to find an ideology, against teams that are maybe struggling to be coached like a Michigan State, perhaps Michigan State's you know in-state partner, which is dealing with some of the same issues. Um, Rutgers has a very serious shot of winning those games just because it's better coached than they are, and that that goes a really long way. It, it, I'm going to ask about anything you find interesting, but like I, it almost sounds to me like the interesting stuff with this program in your estimation, it's not necessarily the players. It's just what, like it's whether or not as a team, they are going to be able to out scheme another team and pick up one or two more wins than they probably should. Is that a correct read on it? Yeah. Yeah. This, this team is unlike, I would say just about any other team in the conference, save for Northwestern. Um, and maybe Wisconsin, this team is greater than the, the sum of its parts. It is, it is exceeding the talent that it has by having plus coaching, which I really can't say about even the teams at the top of the conference. Ohio state does not have plus coaching. It has either, either equal or negative coaching. Like I, I would in 2019, it had plus coaching. Um, but 2020 Ohio state was winning in spite of some of its coaches. Um, and Rutgers has plus coaching. You don't see that a ton at the P5 level. A lot of those guys are at the G5 level, and then when they get scooped up to the P5 level, boosters shackle them and keep them from doing things that are interesting. Um, and and so the the thing that I'm interested here, and if you watch, you know, people who are listening, tune into a Rutgers game this season and and watch their, you know, maybe one that isn't against your favorite team because you'll be frustrated by it. Watch their offense. Watch what Sean Gleason's doing. He he is creating open receivers out of guys that cannot get open on their own. He's he's scheming these easy throws up for a quarterback that could not make hard throws. And it is a it is a staff that is realistic about what it has, which is very rare in college football and and impressive to to watch if you know what you're what you're looking at essentially. So, uh, for all of you paying attention, that was Patrick's formal endorsement for when Ryan Day leaves the NFL for Ohio State to hire Jeff Hadley. Uh, next That's right. Next up on the list, uh, the mighty, mighty Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, They had a Northwestern season last year, uh, finished number 10 in the country, six and one uh, in uh, in Big Ten play, ended up seven and two once they got the uh, what once they were able to get their bowl win, number 30th nationally in sp plus with the nation's number three defense uh as you can guess weren't exactly able to turn that into wins on the recruiting trail because it's northwestern uh but number 11 in the big 10 got in a couple of four stars which you know good for northwestern doing that uh the question for them is also going to be a question we have for kind of similar to a question we have for a team in a second which is does Northwestern have the juice to repeat what they did last year? Because what it always seems like with Northwestern, they have this year, down year, down year, slightly better year. Have this year, down year, down year, slightly better year. Have this year. Do they have the juice to get out of that cycle and have another really good season? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that especially if, if you have not seen today's news that, that Cam Porter, the, the running back, the presumed starter, is likely out for the season – um, and that Hunter Johnson, the Clemson transfer, is the starter over Ryan Helinski. Um, I I just I don't think that this team has the juice without Cam Porter running back. It really doesn't have a good number two running back. It has no receivers for Hunter Johnson. He's not somebody who's going to run this offense just by himself. Um, 
and they lose a good chunk of their defense. And Mike Hankwitz, the longtime defensive coordinator, I, I think Northwestern will be back. I think it's foolish to think that they will not return to 9-3 and three in a couple years. But I think that this is much more a, a down season than it is an up season. I think that we're much closer to 2019 here than we are to 2017, you know, 2018, or 2020. I think that this is a year where they rebuild, they reload, they look to find some some new contributors down the road on either side of the ball. I'm sure that they'll find three new linebackers who will be here for four more years after this. But I think that this is a year where they are assessing what they have and looking to move forward, which, um, to his credit, I, I think that Pat Fitzgerald is better at that than just about any other coach in America. He is really, really good at identifying what isn't working and finding things that will work down the road. It's just this year is not about having those things work down the road. This year is about finding those new players. Yeah, he's th- there is probably no coach in the country who is better at finding like the version of himself from when he was a player like Patty, the big, the biggest loss Northwestern probably has is Patty Fisher moving on to the NFL just as like the brains of that entire defense, the guy who knew how to organize things, who could read things immediately. And they have uh, a four-star linebacker um, coming in. I, his first name is Mac. His last name is something that I think sounds like Yulhein. I, I, okay. I probably just messed that up big time, but just knowing what we know about Northwestern, it seems pretty obvious that in three years that guy's going to be uh, competing for the Bronco Nagurski Trophy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's Northwestern football. There, any kind of down year is. It, it's so funny. There is probably no coach in college football who is more able to skate by during a three and nine, four and eight year than Pat Fitzgerald, because everyone just knows, all right, he's going to get back to that point somewhere. And it sounds like we're heading towards that for a variety of reasons of reasons, Patrick, if you're going to be watching this team, what do you think uh, people should be on the lookout for? Do you think that we should just like appreciate that they're going to be spending a year doing college football's version of the process? Yeah, I I think that the the best way that I can, that I can put it is that there is no one in college football who is better at learning from a bad season than Pat Fitzgerald. Um, I, I think that the the fun thing to watch here, and this isn't especially fun for Northwestern fans specifically, um, it's not going to be fun for for neutral viewers either. But the the thing that that is worth watching here is that it's like the you know it's like the early stage of an NCAA 14 dynasty where you're you're taking over a bad team and you're looking to see who you have for the future. Northwestern fans will get to see who the future stars will be this season. It's just that those guys are not going to be ready yet. This is not a a system that really produces year one starters, save for like Peter Skaronsky, the left tackle who stepped in was and was immediately awesome last year. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of like, what do we what do we have here? What do we have at running back? What do we have at you know quarterback? Maybe beyond. Hunter Johnson and Ryan Helinski. What what do we have at receiver, which was terrible last year and will be terrible again this year? Um, and the answers to that are not always going to be especially fun to find, but I do think that it is entertaining if you enter this season with very low expectations for what this team can be and if you can just enjoy the the highs that they do have, if you can enjoy the wins that they do have, because this team will steal some games that it probably shouldn't. It, it will pull off an upset or two it might end up getting like Iowa or something just out of out of nowhere. But I think for the most part, this is going to be uh, not especially enjoyable year for, for Northwestern. Uh, you mentioned that last thing a little bit too quick. I'm um, looking for who is the big, who is the big 10 East team that goes there for a noon kick? 
Um, <laughs> let's see. Rutgers goes there, so that might be at Sparty's at 9 p.m. So Saturday. But yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's an East Coast team that goes there for uh, the uh, for, for a, an 11 a.m. local kick. I don't. I didn't mention this for the last two teams. Uh, I did mention the Rutgers doesn't have any odds, but both Nebraska and Northwestern are 40 to one uh, to win the Big Ten. Uh, please don't put money on either of them no, because that would no. be a bad financial decision. Uh, all right. Bad. So I, I'm, I'm making uh, an executive decision right now. I'm going to stop this episode of the podcast. Uh, Patrick and I are both going to like go get something to drink or go to the bathroom or something like that. And when we do our next episode, we're going to do the teams with the, the top seven teams in terms of betting odds in the big 10. So be on the lookout for that. That'll hit your podcast feed sometime in the next mm, day or so. But yeah, we will uh, see you next time for part two of our Big Ten season preview.